0: glory america bonjour hi canada that music means it is time for the hillsdale dialogue our weekly uh, uh we climb the ladder friday in the last hour to things that last that things that are important today i do so with dr larry Arn, president of hillsdale college and our maybe one of our favorite guests dr paul ray professor of history the van andale graduate school of statesmanship as well he's the charles o' lee and louis k lee louise k lee chair in western heritage former uh, well not former you're always a Rhodes scholar they don't take it away from you a Rhodes scholar his phd in greek history we always love to have him he interrupts dr Arn whenever he wants to which we think is great and uh but first we have to begin with dr arna congratulations for seeing through commencement it is done your seniors are commenced and they are rightly so congratulations
1: yeah it was a big deal uh it was safe because we followed all the protocols, and it was legal because of the First Amendment, uh, also because we followed the protocols. Uh, the governor of Michigan has said that outdoor First Amendment expressions are not limited in number, and she herself set an example of that by joining those protests, which were much larger than our commencement.
0: Well, so I am we glad. Had, I am so glad you did it, and on uh, next Friday. I expect to have a full exposition of what you told your graduates, but did they walk away happy with their parents and glad to have celebrated a four-year Hillsdale education?
1: Well, you know, more than 90% of them came back for it from all over the country. And, uh, it was, yeah, it was the most intense commencement I've ever seen.
0: Did fathers embrace sons and mothers, daughters?
1: Oh yeah. They were weeping and, uh, it was, you know, it was really good. Our, our, uh, our beloved, uh, often professor of the year, Tom Connor, uh, a retiring faculty member, gave the address, and he was great. And uh, there was, you know, he 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 uh, he's a he's a very sympathetic man by nature, and he. The best line in it to me was, uh, "Do not let ta- do not let anyone tell you that you have arrived here today because of your privilege. You have uh, you have struggled and fought." To get to where
0: you are. Well you said, Professor Connor. But I, I, I mentioned the father and son because of the transition to our Hillsdale mm-hmm. Dialogue this week of Philip and Alexander, one of the original father-son duos of history that uh, resonates for a long period of time. I'm not sure there was much clasping of shoulders and weeping between them, was there, Dr. Ray? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, there was a
2: quarrel towards the the end of Philip's life. Uh, because he had married his uh, seventh wife, and she was a Macedonian, and there were people who hoped that that would produce a son who would replace Alexander, who was half a period. Uh, and Alexander was very bitter about this, uh, and 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 there was a a a, a split. And uh, some people think that uh, Alexander and his mother were responsible for the assassination of Philip. I think yeah. that's probably not true, but uh, there was suspicion.
0: I want to set this up. Last week, we left off with Greece destroyed, uh, Sparta the victor, but really a victor of ashes. Athens ruined uh, all of the Greek city states laid low and up in Macedon, uh, wolves, one of whom named Philip. Took it all. Uh, do you want to fill in the story right up to when Philip goes on the march and, and when he gets
2: off? Sure. Okay, in 404 B.C., the, the, the Spartans win the Peloponnesian War, and they then try to set up their own empire. They don't have the manpower to do it, and uh, they run into trouble mainly um, with the Thebans. And also with uh, the Persians, because they turn on, they've been allied with the Persians against the Athenians, and fairly quickly they turn on the Persians. Uh, And they make an attempt to take Asia Minor, uh, which is inspired by Xenophon's experience. You had a meeting on Xenophon, if I remember correctly. Yes, we did. uh, Recorded in the Anabasis. Uh, And and what has been learned is that if you combine Greek hoplites with something like Persian cavalry, first-rate cavalry, you can actually defeat the Persians on flat land in places like Mesopotamia, which is what happens at the Battle of Cunaxa in 401 B.C. Um, The Spartans make this attempt, but they they don't have the horsepower to pull the thing off, And uh, the the Persians use gold to um, uh, stir an uprising in Greece uh, to provide them with the resources. Uh, The Persians put a fleet back into the Mediterranean, uh, led by Greeks, and they divide the Greeks. Um, There's a long struggle that goes on then off and on between uh, the uh, Spartans and the Thebans, who dominate a region called Boeotia. And that's where Philip comes in. Um, Shortly after, the Thebans defeat the Spartans, free the Mycenaeans, set up an Arcadian League to contain the Spartans. Philip is a hostage uh, in Thebes at the time when Pelopidas and Epaminondas, the great Theban leaders, are running the show. And he's a young man at that time, and uh, he sees what they've done, the sacred band, uh, a, a development of hoplite techniques where you, you have a deeper part of the battle line so you can blast through the other battle line, and the combination of the ocean cavalry uh, with hoplites. He then goes back um, uh, to Macedon. Six years later, uh, his older brother dies. He is the regent for the young king. Young kings don't last very long in these circumstances, <laughs> and um, uh, well, it, it you know it's a despotism. It's not yeah. a monarchy in the European sense. It's not a lawful monarchy, and so Philip emerges as king, and he creates something that the uh, the Macedonians never had, which is a highly disciplined um, uh, infantry force to match the traditional macedonian cavalry
0: and dr Ray, when we talk about macedonia are we talking about what we call macedonia today uh, sort of we're talking about
2: uh, uh you know the what's called macedonia today which is a country uh and parts of northern greece yep. that aren't in that country uh and uh he improves upon greek techniques by introducing what's called the Sarissa. The hoplite spear is about nine feet long. The Sarissa is twice that length. Um, And with this force, he manages to uh, conquer the neighbors and subdue the neighbors of the Macedonians, and then he turns on Greece itself uh, and is successful. Now, he is a man of many wives, uh, and this can lead to conflicts. Uh, and as in most despotisms, there is a the fundamental problem is assassination, uh, and he has a son Alexander, who has been uh, models himself on his father as a very effective uh, soldier, and at the Battle of, of Chironea in uh, 338 uh, distinguishes himself, uh, and but he quarrels with Alexander's mother Olympias. And he marries another woman, wife number seven. Uh, And at the marriage, the wife's father says, now we can have a true Macedonian heir, which leads to a quarrel between father and son. It leads to a temporary exile for um, Alexander. And two years later, uh, Philip is assassinated by one of his bodyguards, uh, and this has to do with a kind of homosexual love story. Um, and part of the story is that uh, this bodyguard had been raped by the father-in-law of Philip, which is to say the the, the father of that last wife. Uh, and he turned to Philip for redress, and Philip had done nothing, so he kills Philip.
0: Uh, doc- uh, doctor, at the age
2: of 20. Alexander is king of Macedon.
0: I want, I want to come back to this, and especially to how Philip ruled in the next segment. But I want to ask Dr. Arne uh, Philip is sort of a hinge figure, a hinge of fate figure, because without Philip, there is no Alexander, there is no empire, there is no changing of the world. Do you teach him much at Hillsdale? We have a minute to the break.
1: Well, in the Western Heritage course, everybody learns about this. You know, there's a, this story. You know, leads, of course, to us. Paul will have some things to say about that, I think, in contemporary times. But you know, the the birth of the Greeks, classical thought, that's a like lightning striking the earth. But that is that is matched by the extension of Greek in these little Greek city states in world affairs, and so they fight the Persians off, and they. And, and, and they fight each other a lot. And Philip is the one who unites Greek Greece into a force that Alexander was in, uh, deploy all the way across
0: India. To take the lightning around the known world and from that build the West. That's why we are doing in our March of Western Civilization. How did we get here? We're talking about Philip and Alexander Day. Dr. Ray and Dr. Arne will be right back. Go nowhere, America. It's the Hillsdale Dialogue, all things Hillsdale are found at hillsdale.edu. All of our conversations for all these many years at for Hillsdale.com. Stay tuned. Welcome back, America, 22 minutes after the hour. On the last day of July, I'm talking in the most recent Hillsdale Dialogue with Dr. Larry Arne, president of Hillsdale College. His colleague, Professor Paul Ray, a doctor of uh, philosophy, Western civilization, Greek, and all that other stuff that we know about. Uh, and we're fascinated by Philip this week and Alexander. Dr. Ray, before we march on to Alexander and he marches on around the world, how did Philip rule? You told me before the show began, not unlike the Chinese are stealing from the Americans the, the forms of government, so did Philip steal from the Greeks their forms.
2: Yeah. Uh, look, if if you look at the Macedonians from the time of, say, the Persian Wars on down to Philip... Uh, they're a kind of tribal people. And the kingship is a chieftainship. And there's a, an awful lot of assassination. Uh, the brothers are always trying to knock out the the elder brother who succeeds to the throne. There's no rule of law. Um, and they don't have uh, disciplined infantry. Uh, and so what Philip does is he learns from the successes of the Greeks uh, militarily. He imports those institutions into a despotism, and he creates a quasi-professional group of uh, foot companions, they're called, foot soldiers, uh, and, and he takes the old tribal cavalry, and he makes that a, um, a quasi-professional force, and he needs money to do that, and there's gold up in Thrace, and that's why his initial moves are in that direction. Um, what the Chinese have done is they have abandoned uh, the communist economics. They have adopted, uh, in a modified form, a kind of free market economics. Actually, their their internal structures look like exactly what the Nazis did. Um, and so they are rich in the way the Russians never were, and a much greater threat is a consequence. Then they've stolen our technology or bought it or um, uh, imitated it. And so the consequence is they have become formidable Militarily and economically, in a way the Russians never were. Uh, uh, and just as Philip, uh, and made the Macedonians a threat in the way the Macedonians had never been before.
0: Now let me ask you both, Doctor Dr. and Doctor Kissinger is is known to have said, and I've heard a version of it: they will never march out from China. They will not conquer other countries. They do not aspire to that in the way that Alexander marched out from Philip's Macedonia. What do you think of that?
1: Um, well, they're human. <laughs> so <laughs> they, they have in the past. And, uh, you know, they're very aggressive in their diplomacy, and their military is becoming ever more sophisticated and numerous. And uh, so I, I don't <laughs> – what, what is it about them that would stop that uh, – You know, it it is true that they've had a lot of trouble in their in their lie, in their history, very long history, keeping China united. And that's the first concern. They've got that done now, you know, for the time being, at least.
0: Dr. Ray, Uh, uh, Dr. Kissinger's book says uh, their fundamental belief is that which is separated must be united and that which is united must separate. Or that which is divided must unite and that which is united must divide. Wouldn't that tend to keep them at home as opposed to Alexander-like?
2: Well, you know, you could have made the same argument about, say, the Japanese in 1920. Uh, Had they ever conquered lands before? Korea, I suppose. Um, But uh, the answer was no. But they departed from that in Manchuria and in China. Um, uh, I think Kissinger's being quite silly. And look, they have become very aggressive at sea. Uh, and, you know, given where they are, you know, where, what are they going to conquer by land? I suppose Vietnam, they might. Uh, but what they're trying to do is become the dominant power at sea in East Asia. Uh, and uh, if, if the other countries around them do not unite, Um, they'll succeed.
0: So, you all thought that the Hillsdale Dialogue was about old books and forgotten people. No? Philip and Alexander are about the here and the now, and we'll be back to talk more about Alexander with Dr. Larry Arn, President of Hillsdale College, Professor Paul Ray of Hillsdale. All things Hillsdale are at hillsdale.edu. All of these conversations are recorded at hue4hillsdale.com come right back welcome back america hugh hewitt it is the hillsdale dialogue the last radio hour of the week and i am joined by uh president of hillsdale college dr larry arn and by professor of hillsdale college dr paul ray together we have been speaking about philip of macedon and now we turn to alexander his son the first world conqueror and i'm i mean maybe cyrus was too but this is really the guy, is he not, Doctor Ray? The, the 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 archetype for would be world conquerors.
2: Yes, and
0: and uh,
2: you know an amazing character. Uh, his father is assassinated. He becomes king in 336 BC at the age of twenty. Uh, he dies uh, 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 in 323 BC, so it's only thirteen years. Uh, His father has already got an advance guard in Asia Minor, uh, and uh, Alexander takes over. It takes him a couple years to consolidate things to crush an uprising in Greece. Then he turns to Asia Minor, and in 334, they win a battle in northwest Asia Minor near Troy. Uh, In 333, they win a second battle at Isis in Cilicia, which is on the borderlands between Anatolia and Syria, uh, very near the coast of the Mediterranean. Uh, And then uh, a year later, um, they win a – two years later, excuse me, they win a third battle at Gaugamela, in basically Kurdistan. Um, So the third battle is in Mesopotamia in the very far north. Uh, and then Darius III is assassinated by one of his own generals, and the whole thing has opened to Alexander. He's got further fighting to do uh, in mountainous territory in Afghanistan, uh, and then he inv- invades India.
0: How many people does not- he do this with, Dr. Ray? I, for, for a modern audience, this is sort of astonishing that he's moving around like a game of risk. How many people is he taking with him?
2: It's about 50,000 altogether. A combination of Macedonian cavalry and the foot companions and some Greek mercenaries, not so very many. And look, Xenophon in Anabasis, uh, the story about the younger Cyrus and his accomplishment at Kunaxa in uh, in 401 B.C., had shown that the Persians are um, vulnerable, extremely vulnerable. Uh, the way they tended to fight is they, they'd set up a shield wall, and then they'd have archers, and you'd get an artillery barrage. Uh, and that was followed by a cavalry charge uh, against the disrupted enemy. And then the uh, the, 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 uh, the the archers would toss down their bows and pick up spears and clean up. Uh, and the Greeks showed at Marathon and Plataea and Mycale and Eurymedon – that if you, could, if you could neutralize the uh, cavalry, uh, this would not work anymore, uh, and that the hoplite equipment made the Greeks more or less impervious to the artillery barrage, and they could shove through and absolutely massacre these spearmen. And they did it over and over again. What um, Cyrus, uh, uh, the younger Cyrus, showed with Xenophon present— to later write about it, was if you you could do the same thing on the plains of Mesopotamia, which are as flat as a pancake, if you had uh, good cavalry to protect the Greek flanks. Um, And they win at Cunaxa. Cyrus himself is killed, and the 10,000 Greeks fight their way uh, through uh, Kurdistan and Armenia and so forth uh, up to the Black Sea. And then Xenophon comes back with a Gesselaus. Uh, into Asia Minor, and the Persians aren't able to fight the Greeks in Asia Minor. And, you know, the, the next generation, which is to say Philip and Alexander, they know about this. And so, inspired by what they had learned from Xenophon's Anabasis, uh, they put this into effect with Macedonian cavalry and this improved version of the Greek phalanx.
0: Now, Dr. Armstrong, you have- just collapse. You you've taught Aristotle forever, and you hold up the ethics as the perfect book. Uh Aristotle taught Alexander. Do you think Aristotle was proud of his pupil?
1: Uh well, uh no. Uh, in you know, in a, in, a, in in one way, yes, in another way, no. Uh like uh like Cyrus about whom Xenophon wrote the education of Cyrus, uh Alexander was a very artful um, you know, he was good with people. He was very good at political maneuvers. He was very good at assembling coalitions. He was very good at war. And all of those things came together to produce an amazing force. But the force that he produced and the, you know, he Aristotle is, thinks that the purpose of the city is to cultivate the virtue of the citizens and to do justice among them all. And so You know, going off, you know, a thousand miles east and conquering everything in your path is not exactly what Aristotle called for. Uh, So yes and no. And, you know, the the great tension, Xenophon is an incredibly important figure because Xenophon is a political man who keeps his loyalty to Socrates. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, Alcibiades did not do that. And uh, Alexander did not fully do that with Aristotle,
0: Doctor Ray. Do you do you admire Alexander? It is he has been the subject of so many books, of so many novels. Not that I'm aware of movies, but but he's sort of uh, in Caesar. We see him. We see him in Napoleon. We might see him in Hitler. He's he's a model for despots.
2: Yes, uh, you know the best of these novels are those by Mary Renault. Uh, Fire from Heaven, The Persian Boy, and Funeral Games. She, was, she knew her ancient history. Uh, she was a nurse in World War II. She knew all about what wounds do to human beings. And she writes with a verve that uh, that's really quite wonderful. And her judgment is rather good. She actually wrote a history book called The Nature of Alexander. Um, no, look, He at one level, he's, he, he models himself, by the way, on Xenophon's Cyrus the Great. He read the Cyropedia, and that that was his model. So there's a very close connection between uh, what Xenophon lays out there and what Alexander does. Uh, and he's incredibly good at it. Uh, he's he's a very brave warrior, but he's also half mad. And uh, you know it ends up um, after the successes. He ends up executing all sorts of people who had been closely associated with him, including the man who saved his life at the Battle of Granicus, and including the nephew of Aristotle, Callisthenes of Olympus. Um, And these people are executed because they are resistant to his attempt to um, achieve collaboration on the part of the Persians.
0: This rage that, you know, he would kill people in a rage there. There's another novel, not Renault, but uh, Stephen Pressfield's The Virtues of War, which is about the Afghanistan campaign. And Alexander was given to rages and drunken debauchery and just murdering people. He is not an admirable figure.
2: No. And, you know, eventually there's an army mutiny. Um, And when he gets to India, uh, he conquers essentially Pakistan and, and a part of India, the Indus River Valley. He wants to go on to the Ganges, and his men say, enough, we're not going to do this, and he has to back off. But there's a sense in which there, he would never have stopped. There's a kind of craziness there, um, and he's crazy like a fox, but, but he's crazy. And there's a reasonable chance he was poisoned. Uh, what is Macedonia. his?
0: What is his greatest achievement?
2: Well, the legacy is that uh, Greek civilization and Greek culture are spread all the way to India. There are he founds twenty cities uh, called Alexandria, uh, and uh, you know Alexandria in Egypt still exists. That's the most important of them. There's one called Iskinderum, near where the Battle of Issus took place. There, there were Greek cities in Afghanistan, um, and these Greek cities operated the way Greek cities operated back in Athens and Thebes and so forth. They they were self-governing. They, they had visiting philosophers. Uh, the language spreads. Uh, the civilization spreads. Uh, and there is a kind of uh, Greek-speaking area that extends uh, – all the way it doesn 't wipe out all the the native languages but but the city languages are Greek in places like Egypt, in places like north north india there's a there 's a kingdom of Bactria at one stage that unites a chunk of Afghanistan with a chunk of Pakistan um, uh, so it, what happens is a great Greek diaspora and it 's yeah. a diaspora that Christianity spreads.
0: We'll come back uh, in, the, in the final segment. Dr. Anna I just wanted to say, founding Alexandria is to found a library. I mean, is to actually save civilization, isn't it?
1: Well, yeah. It's uh, the most famous library in the ancient world. And uh, and it, so, you know, they. it's not so much the policy of Alexander that he changed all those places. He conquered all those places. And then he died shortly thereafter. But what those Greeks brought with them, his generals and his soldiers, right, was a different way of thinking that was the product of, you know, Socrates and philosophy and the Greek city-state, which distributed power up and down the line in a different way than it happened in the Persian Empire. So they brought something new, and that something stuck. But it wasn't according to any particular plan of Alexander. His generals, you know, Cleopatra in Egypt is a descendant of one of Alexander's generals. And and so, yeah, they remade the world that way.
0: Yeah, you know, when we come back, we have to consider him in whole uh, when we come back and what he leaves behind him, because his legacy is not just a Greek diaspora and Greek cities and libraries and soldiers. It's a... It's a succession which is uh, not planned and has many unplanned but uh, spectacular results, which we'll talk about when we come back. When we come back from break, we'll continue with uh, the legacy of Alexander the Great as he passes the torch on and we move down Western civilization's path towards next week, Polybius, which I didn't see coming. But then again, I don't see many things coming out of Hillsdale that I'm always surprised by. But the uh, conclusion of Alexander when we return with, President Larry Arne of Hillsdale College, Dr. Paul Ray of Hillsdale College. All things Hillsdale are found at hillsdale.edu. All of our conversations, including that reference by Dr. Ray about Xenophon, at q for hillsdalecom Stay tuned, America. It's the here Hewitt Show. Welcome back, America. Final segment of this week's Hillsdale Dialogue. All things Hillsdale are at hillsdale.edu. Dr. Larry Arn is the president of the college. Dr. Paul Ray, one of its esteemed professors Dr. Ray, as we conclude our time on Alexander, he wasn't much for succession planning, was he?
2: No uh, and he you know he had he had no son when he died. Uh, there was a son born shortly after he died, and that son went the way of uh, a young heirs uh, in this despotic world, which is to say, before very long he's dead, as is his mother. Uh, and the uh, uh, the 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 great empire that had been created by Alexander uh, falls in falls apart, uh, and so you get a king in Macedon, you get a king in Syria, you get a king in uh, Egypt, uh, and it's these are the generals of 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 uh, and they're called the successors, uh, and then they battle with one another until the Romans take over.
0: So, Doctor, the, the question is. Uh, counterfactuals are always hard, but are we better off having had Alexander and the chaos that followed him, but the Greek diaspora that also remained after his time, or would we have been better off if Philip had hung around longer than he was assassinated and allowed to hang around?
1: Well, uh, yeah, you you take the long view, right? So, it, it, it better off it matters what you're for, right? So, I'm for a kind of regime in which people are able to think and, and uh, philosophy and religion can flourish and people can live fully human lives. And the Greeks were closer to that than the Persians. And so his conquest spread that kind of thing at the library in Alexandria is such a thing.
0: So, yeah, we're better off. But that now, doc- doesn't mean he was a particularly great ruler no, I was going to ask Dr. Ray, did he have a political theory or was it just conquest? Uh, it's a combination
2: of conquest and consolidation. And the consolidation aspect was turned out to be the most dangerous thing he did. Uh, and, and that had to do with creating a new ruling class that mixes Macedonians and Persians and the other nobilities uh, that existed in in the Persian Empire. So at one point, he has his soldiers take Persian wives, and there is a mass marriage. Uh, and uh, you know this is deeply resented by these Macedonians, uh, who who are uh, not very friendly to the Persians. He uses Persians as satraps. Um, it's actually smart uh, because what he needs to, to keep the empire going – see, it's one thing to conquer. It's another thing to hold it. Uh, and he's only got, say, 50,000 men. Many of those have been killed, although their people come from Macedon to, to replace them. So it's a really small army occupying a vast territory. And so what he does is he borrows the models of governance that the Persians had used. Um, and that's the thing that that, that leads to quarrels,
0: Doctor. Um, a last word: Is there anything of freedom about him at all?
1: Well, sure. I mean, it uh, you know, it, to look upon the world as if the decisive thing about other peoples is that they're human, right? That's the that's the Socratic revolution and also the Christian revolution. And so, yeah, he walked around thinking like that. You know, one of the reasons he thought he could conquer them all was that they would be amenable to his rule. Uh, And the Persians, you know, they're a growth from tribalism. And I'm not saying, by the way, that they lacked all of that. They didn't. But it's very strong in the Greeks. And it's not just the Socratic Revolution. It's also the character of the Greek city-state, which distributes power up and down as if there's some, some form of equality working there.
0: And that is a seed to sow that we will reap next week with Polybius as we move into the era of the Romans. Dr. Ray, thank you as always. Uh, we marched a long way today, not just with Alexander, but <laughs> through a number of centuries, and I appreciate doing it uh, succinctly. Dr. Arne, again, congratulations. On commencement, we'll hear the details of that next week when uh, the entire drama is written down and a capital uh, uh, C is behind commencement with a period behind it, and I hope you are back in D.C. to do that. Thanks to you both. Everybody remember, all things Hillsdale are collected at hillsdale.edu. If you like today's conversation, you're one of our new affiliates, and they keep adding. I don't know where you're coming from, but keep on coming in. You can find every Hillsdale dialogue that we have had. This is our second time through the West. We began eight years ago uh, with Homer, and we are, we're back around this time focusing a little more on history and a little less on philosophy to make sure you know how we got here. By that, I mean I don't mean your personal story. Those are all very interesting. But how did the West come to the West and Alexander had a lot to do with it as you heard today. All of those dialogues collected at Hugh for And if you want to learn the Constitution, which we extol, go and watch the video course on it at Hillsdale.edu. That will make your weekend a profitable one. Thank you, Adam and Ben. Welcome aboard, Harley. Go Navy, beat Army, Go Navy, Beat Army, Go Navy, Beat Army. I had to Pay my tribute to the person who recruited Harley to join our ranks. And, yes, even to Generalissimo, who came to work today out of reasons I can't decipher. But we were glad to have him here. Thanks to all of you. I'll be back Monday on the next Hugh Hewitt Show.